Everyone. Every book. Every second is magical. This is our every. Welcome back, everyone. It's our very first book review episode, and I know everyone has been looking forward to listening to the author interview with Mr. Hulkstead. Between the awesomeness of the year before the end and the interview answers I have received, I am overwhelmed and excited to get this week's episode out to you. Due to a bit of scheduling conflict with my weary overload recreation killer, or work, and getting the torturous energy evaporating negative seeds, teens, ready for the seven cruel hours of offspring's lives. School, please don't kill me for my puns. I am trying to get this to you guys as soon as possible. So, without further procrastination, your Darkness Descending chapter for this week. Chapter 7 The Road Home We haven't heard from Prince Hanner, my king. He has to return by tomorrow night. Trent assured King Kristoff, you were not heard from for four whole days, my king. King Kristoff glowered at his assistant, knowing how much he was right. Still, it didn't change how he felt. Stop worrying, husband. He will return soon, victorious and with a wife in mind. Queen Aaron's voice reminded him of the instructions he had asked Trent into his study to receive. His absence leaves a void in the household. However, my concern for my son is not why I summoned you here this time. I want to know how the preparation goes for the events. The reception banquets? The king gestured to the chair in front of him. Trent took the proffered chair and opened the leather binder in his hand. As an appetizer, there will be stuffed peppers, fried shrimp, and cheese. A cold pumpkin soup will follow with a light cob salad. We will then have three roasted turkeys, cranberry sauce, three vegetable dishes, and the gravy that you like best. Prince Hanner's favorite dessert, lime pie with fresh whipped cream, will be served. Wine shall be served per course to match. Do you wish to choose? The king looked to Trent and shook his head. Oh, ask for some cherries. You know Hawkin loves them. King Kristoff rolled his eyes at the voice in his head and reminded Trent to include some cherry pie for the young prince. Seating, decor, and entertainment arranged, then, very good. The coronation itself will be traditional. Make sure the priests are ready. The king paused for a moment and waited for Trent to make his notes. I want the coronation ball to be entertaining. Do you have his new suit prepared? The princesses had their measurements before they left, I understand. Have entertainment brought in, and not the same as the banquet or the wedding. Make sure invitations are sent all the lord's house. They will have their duties during the coronation when they pledge to the prince heir. Now, tell me what was planned for the wedding, since, since it will be before the coronation. I understand each of the queens has made her directions on her chosen decor, dress, meal, and traditions to include... Trent had been nodding his assent at the questions he posed, making notes on his papers as the king spoke. Finally, at this question, the assistant flinched and stopped writing. Swallowing hard, the assistant looked into the king's face. Your grace, I beg your forgiveness. 
Queen Fendria has presented her plans, which can easily be accomplished as they are very close to our own traditions. A simple hand-fasting was the major point of concern for her. Zimbalia's plans are, forgive me, m most gruesome. <clears throat> their, their rites involve slaughtering a snake and drinking its blood by both the bride and groom. We have begun preparations, and will accommodate the ritual. I just wanted to warn you, as you and her father will release the snake at the ceremony. Her dress will certainly be ruined, since it is the princess who will slay the snake with her father's blade. King Kristoff chuckled despite himself. Have you the stomach to watch your daughter-in-law slaughter a snake? Your son drink its blood, my heart's wind? King Kristoff directed his thoughts toward his queen. She, at the moment, was sitting in her room, entertaining her lady guests and embroidering her gifts for her new daughter-in-law. He waited for her reaction, and could feel her fighting the bile that rose quickly to her throat, and the fury at him embarrassing her from so far away. The king snickered at his comet's reactions, and gestured to Trent the meeting was over. Everything seems in order, but you must go down and offer your queen Erin some peppermint tea for me. Stand back while you ask. She might just vomit on you. Trent's reaction spoke of his intimate knowledge of what had just passed between his master and his wife. Trent was one of the very few aware of the connection unique to the royal couple. He turned an olive color and rushed out of the room as he began thinking of the ritual himself. So... Preparations are made for the festivities. All are awaiting my son's return. It is time for me to pray for his safe arrival, and my queen's stomach. King Kristoff had a grin placed suspiciously on his face as he descended the stairs from his lofty study, heading to the temple to speak with the gods and listen to the wind. Yawning, the young prince woke from the hour before dawn to find two furious princesses red-faced at the end of the bed and arms crossed you dreamt of us lista looked at the prince accusingly your dreams were so loud neither of us slept in the last three hours how dare you think of me in such a compromising way i am not yet your wife prince hanner could only look at the women before him and blush he remembered the dream she referred to, him taking them both into his bed, enjoying their comfort, naked bodies, until he was satiated and slept. I was not aware the bond had that ability. I can't say that I'm sorry, as you both have agreed to be my wives. You are both very desirable, and I only a man. Gira and Lista both took a deep breath and sighed. They knew they could not control his dreams and would suffer them until they learned how to block his thoughts. Lista was first to move. She gave the prince an unpleased glare and left the room to change into her riding gear. Kira's look softened at her absence, her cheeks glowing a bright pink. I will admit I enjoyed parts of it. She circled around the bed towards his head, trailing her fingers over the coverlet very close to his body. When she got to the top, she leaned her face close to his and whispered, I will be looking forward to seeing how well you can perform some of those tasks with your feathers. 
especially while distracted by another woman. Before he could react to her blunt tease, she leaned forward and gave him a slow, sensual kiss, sucking his bottom lip as she pulled away. She smiled knowingly as she turned and followed Lista out to change. Desire flowed through Prince and into the bond, causing some discomfort and increased fury to return through the bond. Prince Hanner tried to subdue the effects of her kiss as he sat up and rubbed his eyes. A ruse ambled over from his bed in the corner and nudged the prince's hand. What will become of me, boy? One would love to murder me for daring to dream. The other teases and tortures me. What about you? Are you hungry? Hanner lifted his hand to summon the servant stationed by the door. Please find me my clothes and have them prepare breakfast quickly and get a ruse his. We will leave as soon as the princesses are ready. He waited for the servant to leave before he got out of bed. His nightshirt was soon discarded as he washed his face in the basin with cold water and wiped it with the shirt. Gods, please, please give me the patience of a saint. I do not know if I have the strength to endure these two beautiful women you have placed before me. At least not before I claim them as mine in right and ritual. Aru sneezed what sounded like a short laugh at the prince, who gave him a traitorous look. An hour later, Prince Hanner and Princess Kira were in the courtyard, checking supplies and the well-being of the horses, awaiting Princess Lista. Both were taken back by her appearance when she walked through the door. Her body language said she was displeased with her new attire. <sighs> Tradition demands when his mage is to be wed, their face is to be covered at all times. It is so not to tempt those who would steal her from her betrothed. Until the wedding, I must wear the veil. Not even my prince may see my face. She looked around as her hand reached to the top of her head, adjusting the band around it that kept the thick black veil in place. It sure is uncomfortable, and I can't hear well. Inwardly, Lista frowned as the two suppressed their laughter. They all mounted their horses and began their journey to the Sokol Castle. As previously discussed, they rode down the road for half a day without incident. Easy conversation flowed between the three as they got to know each other better, their thoughts and feelings coloring the answers to one another's questions, causing more than one fit of laughter. Lighthearted and comfortable, they rode around the edge of the forest of time until noon. Prince Hanner stopped and turned in his saddle to take in their guards and a ruse. They had just reached a small copse of trees that would serve as a good shade for a noon meal. We will stop here for an hour, rest the horses, and eat. He dismounted as he began issuing orders. Retrieve Aruza's meal from the pack, please. He gestured to the guard who was eyeing the cub warily. Aruza sat and watched as the man pulled a porterhouse from the sack and handed it to the prince. Hannah waited a minute before gesturing to Aruza to take it. As the cub sunk his teeth into the meat, a high-pitched scream of a horse tore through the air. The cub dropped the meat and jumped protectively in front of the prince. A small, uniquely colored horse-like creature with a little nubby horn growing out of its sunset-colored fur between its eyes galloped straight for the group. 
Kira let out a small cry, recognition of the mythical unicorn foal playing across her face with excitement. Behind the foal came the reason for its scream. Quickly slithering in chase was a savire. Its large snake body trailing it seemed to be near fifteen feet long. Quickly Kira held the foal to protect it as Lista and Hanner placed themselves in front of her. Lista's bow was loaded in seconds with a poison-tipped arrow, Hanner's sword held at the ready. The guards flew to their sides as Aruz jumped over the pair and gracefully pounced on the snake's head. With the gruesome sound of ripping flesh, the cub instantly tore off the snake's head. The cub returned to Hanner's side and laid the decapitated survivor head at his feet as his offering. Prince Hanner laughed loudly and pet the cub's back. <laughs> well done, Aruz. I guess you can eat more than your fill. Just drag it back to the forest edge before you begin. The cub leapt up excitingly and took the snake's body to a soft patch of grass near the forest. Then he returned moments later and dragged his stake to his picnic spot, which made Hannah and the princesses issue another round of laughter. Kira turned to the foal and focused on its thoughts for a long while. When she finished, she looked at the prince with tear streaks down her face. It killed her mother. She will not live long in the forest without someone to look after her. She is pleading for us to save her. What do we do? She will be a target in the cities. Her horn hunted for the magic it possesses. She knelt and buried her face in the foal's neck and cried softly. Through the bond, Hannah and Lista felt the sorrow Kira was displaying and had no choice. Uh, would you know how to teach her? Lista asked, knowing if anybody knew how to raise the foal, it would be Kira. Kira nodded and looked at Prince Hanner. Well, if you wish, I will make her your wedding gift, as we had discussed. Then she can be bound to you as a ruse is to me, to come when you call, protect, and carry you where needed. Kira's eyes lit up at the suggestion, eagerly agreeing. She rose to clean her face and find a length of rope to lead the foal on. After they settled down, rested, ate, and napped for half an hour, they stowed their gear and remounted the horses. Following the road south, Aruz carried his snakehead trophy, unwilling to part with his first bonded kill. Conversations grew quieter as the riders grew tired, the motion of the horses rocking the princesses into a light sleep. The lack of urgency allowed the group to relax as they rode. They dismounted at streams along the road to enable the animals to drink. They watched as Aru's roughed house with one of the guards, his trophy always in view. The foal tucked her legs under her and placed her head in Kira's lap, recognizing her as her new guardian. So short were these rests, and infrequent. Shortly before dusk, Prince Hanner smiled. Oh, I know these lands. I have flown over them with my father. We have reached the edge of my kingdom. I believe we will rest here tonight. He dismounted and began preparations for the evening meal. Hanner stood and looked out over the plains of his kingdom, the light breeze allowing the tall grasses to wave back and forth. The guards gathered the wood necessary for cooking at the forest edge. The princesses assisted with unloading the food and the bedrolls. Aruz stood guard over the foal with his trophy delicately held between his teeth. The filly was still quite jumpy around the great cat, 
especially with the snake's head continuing to slowly drip blood from its severed neck. After dark, with the fire alight, the meal cooked and their bellies full, the group settled down and prepared for sleep. Rose laid down beside Hannah, snoring, and the foal fell asleep next to Kira. Lista began singing softly, and as she sang, her gourd averted his eyes. He knew the song and did not want to intrude on a personal moment. Princess Lista rose, beginning to sway her hips from side to side, her eyes locked on Hannah. Dancing and singing, she continued the sensual song, teasing him with every move. She knelt before Hannah and placed her hand over his eyes when she finished. Then she removed the veil covering her face and kissed him slowly and longingly. The bond amplified her desire, deepening their passionate kiss. She waited for his reaction, for his lips to show his passion for her through their own actions. Lista reluctantly pulled away, replacing her veil. Yet another tradition of my people. The Saxura dance, performed by the bride or the groom, usually alone, but as we will not have a chance to be alone before the wedding, this was the best time. She backed away, blushing, and returned to her bedroll, rolling up in it, facing away from the fire. Kira lay down clearing her throat next to the foal without an expression on her face. Hannah knew they both felt his desire, as they had felt his passion for Kira that morning. He swallowed hard and rolled himself up in his blankets, hoping for a dreamless night, knowing it would not be so. Hours into the night, Lissa's eyes flew open, her body rigid in her blankets. Hannah felt the warning through the bond and listened intently. Someone is here. Do not move. I have told Aruz to remain as still as he can. I want to know who dares enter our camp. Hannah adjusted his bedroll to loosen the edges. Kira sleepily rolled to her side as if getting more comfortable, closer to the warm body of the foal lying next to her. Then, under the covers, she silently pulled out one of her daggers and held it close to her chest. Aruz is still for now. He says the person is close to him, and Prince Hannah. He smells sweat and fear. Prince Hannah rolled to his back, knowing he would be the target for whatever attack. But instead, three things happened at once. The black-veiled person lunged at the prince, Aruz pounced, and Kira threw her dagger. Within moments of entering the camp, intent on assassinating the prince, the being lay motionless on the ground. Kira's dagger had hit its mark, leaving only the hilt protruding from the offender's chest. The hand that held this weapon of choice dripped bloodily from Aruz's mouth, another trophy of his valor. Hanner held the dagger that would have caused his death dipped in black poison. Silently he handed it to Lista and waited as she examined it. I have heard of this poison, never seen it. In Tales of the Old, the Uni used it to murder quickly. It paralyzes its victim before they bleed out from the potent blood thinner. The victim usually is found in a pool of their own blood, oozing from every pore. She looked disgusted at the dagger and drove the blade into the burning coals. The Uni, then, he would have the marking if he were. I see none on his body. 
Prince Hanner stood by examining the remains, pulling Kira's dagger from its chest. He wiped the blade on the assassin's tunic and handed it back to his owner. Kira let out a small laugh and pointed to Aruz. No, uh, you wouldn't find it on the body. See, the mark is always on the right hand, and Aruz carries the proof. We must take it back to the castle to warn our families. Prince Hanner gestured for Aruz to drop the hand into his and examined it. The black tattoo on the back of the severed right hand was plain to see. The ever-seeing eye of Uni with its five flames staring back at the prince. Absorbed in his thoughts, he began petting Aruz's growing mane. I will carry your trophy, Aruz. It is crucial. He looked around, noticing the sky lightning. Guards, it's almost morning. Pack up. We ride as fast as possible. Home is only hours away. They packed their gear quickly and mounted their horses, the foal lifted and secured in front of Kira to increase their speed. King Froy paced his study, returning to the entrance several times as he rounded the carpet. His desk was littered with reports on the activities of Prince Hanner and his princesses. Furiously he swept the papers from the top of the office and threw the ink pot at the wall. Watching the ink stain on the wall, he sat in his chair, taking a deep breath. Prince Kyer said he could get an assassin to kill them on the way back to Sokol. Why does it take so long to get the news? I cannot allow the boy to take a wife. He must die so my beloved may live again. Prince Froy's thoughts were interrupted by a knock at the door. Prince Kyer entered and knelt, saluting his master. I bring sad tidings, your grace. My assassin has failed and they have continued their journey to Sokol. The manticore cub has been tamed. King Froy erupted in anger, magic shooting from his fingertips, lighting the stained wall on fire. He closed his eyes against the heat and light, regaining his composure. With a wave of his hand, the wall returned to its previously unmarred state. Froy stood and rounded the desk, stopping in front of Prince Kyer. He lifted his hand under the young Zamaj chin until he was standing with his head held high. Mistakes are unfortunately part of life. Though it angers me, we have time enough to correct it. You have proven yourself useful. Forcefully, King Froy grabbed the prince's right hand, covering the back of it with his own. Pain twisted the prince's face as the scales turned a bright, blinding yellow before fading. Unlike the tattoos of those who openly follow me, your ever-seeing eye will only be visible with magic. Now, go back to the Sokol Palace and wait for further instructions. In a puff of purple smoke, the prince teleported out of the study, leaving King Froy to make his murderous plans alone. Wow, our interesting twist just got a bit darker, huh? Can you feel the darkness descending on every yet? Mm. Now, what you all have been waiting so patiently for, Mr. Vider Holkstead. I hope I am not butchering your name. We welcome you to every, and we are armed with questions. Before we begin, I would like all of our listeners to know that there will be a full-length interview on our Patreon page, 
as we don't have time for all of the questions on air today. The link will be on our website. Just follow the website link and you can find it easily. And now, Mr. Holston. Please tell us what your book, The Year Before the End, is about. First contact has happened. Um, and the Centauri, the race that have contacted us, has sent the signs for a gate system allowing faster and light travel. And the gate is, uh, is a year away from opening. Um, Captain Sara Ortega of the Black Rain, which is the, the ship that we're following, uh, learns of conspiracy between Mars separatists and uh, the Centauri to divide the solar system between them. And they then go on a raid of a heavily fortified space station to uncover the truth and end up being chased halfway around the solar system. As I read the book, I envisioned it as if I was watching a movie. It came to life for me, like a lot of books don't usually come. It was an awesome journey through this treacherous quest that they were on. And I'm so glad that there is more to come. It was actually unusual for me to be interested in this book. I don't normally read sci-fi, but um, I stepped out of my comfort zone and I did enjoy the storyline. At what point do you think someone should call themselves a writer? I think that's really up to how you identify yourself rather than any objective milestone. For me, I guess I started seeing myself that way once I had published my first novel. I know speaking for myself, a lot of us feel that even after we finish our first novel, we aren't considered a writer until we get that first sale and it's not a relative. What would you say to an author that wants to design their own cover? Uh, I would say don't unless you're really cash-strapped or is really talented at graphical design. It's easy to do. I mean the tools for Amazon for example make it very easy but it's deceptively hard to do well and you can get it done fairly cheaply. I recently have learned through trial and error that creating your own cover is not necessarily the best. There's lots of different little nuances that you don't know. This one is one that a lot of Twitter people actually ask on their threads a lot. What do you want in your writing space to keep you focused? For my part, I only need a computer and as little older stuff as possible. I find the more stuff there's around me, the more easily distracted I get. Have any of your pets gotten in the way of your writing? Not really. I don't have any pets, so obviously that makes it harder for that to happen. But uh, a couple of neighbor cats like to hang out in my garden, and that sometimes does distract me. Uh, usually when I don't want to actually sit down to write. I don't think I got any writing done unless I was strapped down with two dogs when I first started. Uh, now it's Miss Matcha, or Conyer, that loves to interact with me and my podcast. How many books have you written, and which one is your favorite? I have written two so far, and I'm working on my third. Of my uh, two first ones, I think the second one, Galaxy Bounds, is the namesake of, of the series that I'm writing, uh, is my favorite. Um, I guess because I, I got a lot of the initial setup out of the way, and so it's much more pure action. And I think my, but I think my current 
work in progress makes a plant, it's really, again, because it's it's getting further in, and while each book can be read independently, there is like, there's a background narrative there that I get, I'm expanding on, and you start getting some payoff, and, and start seeing some outlines of what's to come. It really does sound like you have a whole lot to give. Number 12, of course, what part of the book was the most fun to write? The part I enjoyed the most is probably the part that's most unpopular. I love describing the world and setting, and if I could just write exposition, I might just do that. Um, and, you know, writers would hate me, well, readers would hate me for it. Uh, the start of my first book is very exposition heavy, and, you know, some reviewers have commented on that. But I loved working out the detail, and, you know, to me, that is, it's the world building that I'm, that I like reading, and so it's the world building that I like writing as well. I loved your description. They gave life to the surroundings. It's wonderful. Now, what inspired your idea for your book? I've always uh, loved space opera. At the same time, I love the idea of writing a long series where each novel is independent, but also feeds into this long-running narrative in the background. So there wasn't really any specific thing that set it off all around those two things. And having wanted to write a novel for a very long time, I actually first started writing a novel when I was around 15 and shelved it and for good reason it was not any good what I started writing myself. Well not every writer is a bestseller from the beginning. Most of us have to practice to make it perfect. I also would like a reader that loves the world, the characters that I've made, and the connections between them. What was your hardest scene to write and why? There's a scene where my spaceship crew is escaping a space station owned by somebody hostile. And it was hard to write because of having to make it feel plausible that the bad guy would fail to stop them, even though there's only a single way up the station. Uh, I feel that's one of the challenges of writing sci-fi set in space. It's these long distances where uh, you have these chases where it's, uh, you have to, where it's hard to make anything happen and make it feel like it's, there's an imminent threat going on. And hard to, you know, give explanations for how they manage to land somewhere without the bad guys landing right on top of them and taking them out right then and there. It's a lot of luck involved in getting it done. I can understand that. I'm, I'm, I'm cutting back and forth. There is, you know, it's, I'm writing third person, limited, but from multiple different points of view in different scenes. So, you know, you're in one person's head per scene, but you do uh, change point of view often, like you would in a TV show. Much like you, I kind of see the words as a movie in my head as I read, and yours was absolutely just wonderful. If you don't write for a living, what would you probably do for work? Well, I do software development and operations as my day job, because, you know, the average author earns below minimum wage from their writing. Uh, very few writers can live off their writing. And it would take a massive success for me to earn enough as an author to compete with what I'm learning in my day job. So, you know, I already know. And I've been in, you know, been in technology for the last 25 years. That explains why you know so much about technology and the future of it. It's awesome. Um, I currently am a freelance writer, but I was a licensed nurse before that. Finally, who has been your biggest supporter? I don't really feel like I can point out a single person. Um, I haven't talked to a lot of people about my writing. I kept it 
mostly to myself and people I've found out. In fact, you know, ex-colleagues and or colleagues and uh, my family found out by chance. I did not tell them. Uh, so, you know, it's, I don't really feel like I can, can, can point out anybody, uh, mostly of my own fault because I haven't tried leaning on anybody. Thank you so much for including us in your time for today. Um, this is absolutely wonderful that you chose to help us with this interview today, and I'm sure our readers appreciate it. Um, you can buy my novels on Amazon, but it's also an extended distribution, so you can uh, actually order it from most bookstores by name. Uh, you can always find links to the Amazon page, um, or at, you know anywhere else. I will start listing them at my website. Um, website is just galaxybound.com and the book page there is galaxybound.com slash books and you can find links uh, directly to each of the novels there. Of course, any of our listeners that are interested in The Year Before the End or Galaxy Bound can find them in both paperback and ebook and Amazon and other places. Once again, Thank you, Mr. Holkstead, for your participation in our interview. I hope all of our listeners have learned a lot about your book and your processes and have enjoyed it. In a couple of weeks, we will be reviewing The Midnight Library and reading from the reading guide provided to me. I hope you are all looking forward to this as much as my book club is the book club heart on Facebook. Well, that is all the time that we have for today. Thank you all for listening. Don't forget to visit the website for some great links and information. And remember, the full interview uncut is on the Patreon page. Catch you next time. Interested in hearing more? Have a question? Want the book? Find us on Facebook, Goodreads, and Twitter under every E-V-E-R-I. Catch the novels and audiobooks on Amazon and Audible. Shoot me some discussion questions. Catch you next time. Every.